Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Movie Nights interview. We have a very special guest today. We have someone who is an author, an actress, and they are getting ready to direct their feature film debut. Please give a warm welcome to Miss Tanya Todd. Thank you so much for giving us the time today. Meow, and thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Your information is a little bit old because I actually finished directing my debut. Oh, you finished directing. Great. That's great. <laughs> awesome. Not long ago. So it just means that when okay. Bruce was talking to you, I was still in the, the midst of beginning and now we're in the initial editing stages. Right. That That's so great to hear. So let's let's dive into that. I know that it was successfully crowdfunded. Is that right? Yes. Which is amazing. You know, you you go into it thinking, how are we ever going to get the money that we need for this? But it was funded in part by a grant from Nevada Arts Council and, and Nevada Endowment of the Arts. And then we did a crowdfunder on top of that. And we received as as much as we needed. We actually have a little bit left over to enter it into film festivals. That's so great. That's awesome. And, you know, take me a little bit through that process, because, you know, when you crowdfund anything, you know, there's always there's different different websites that you can use. There's different hopes for what you can achieve and goals you can set and how you allocate those funds. And, you know, kind of take me to the start of that journey of when you first decided, like, let's try to crowdfund this, you know, let's try to get the funding that way. You know, take me through the the roller coaster of that journey and how you ended up getting the funds. Part of it is because, you know, you you write a script and you have all of this stuff in mind. And then when you have to put your producer hat on and take off your writer hat, you realize some of this is going to be very expensive and we need to figure out how to achieve this cinematic goal without breaking the bank or you know, having to tell the writer in you that, I'm sorry, your vision is just not going to be realized, you know, mm -hmm. which can be heartbreaking. Sometimes money is the thing that makes the difference between whether a film is just kind of blah or, you know, it can be amazing even with practical effects. So I, I committed to crowdfunding. Part of that was listening to mentors who are saying, look, you just have to do it. You, you know, nobody wants to ask for money. And I had mentors in my life that said, we, we have all had to go through the process of asking people to fund our films. It's just part of the course. Now is your turn. And so I did it. And I took a course on Seed and Spark, which is the site that I used. They are committed to helping you actually achieve the goal. They're not just trying to get your money. They want you to succeed. And so they have free courses available. I took those. What they do is after you complete your draft of what your crowdfunding site is going to look like and what you're going to say and your video and all of that, they review it. And then they give you tips on how to improve it so that you can be more successful. And I have to say that the entire process took way more work than I expected. It was kind of like a part-time job and not not a 10-hour-a-week part-time job, like a, a real, yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, it was almost a full-time job. It could be a full-time job if I had allowed it to be. And if mm -hmm. you have bigger monetary goals, I think it would have to be a full-time job. Or I, I wasn't trying to get $100,000 for a movie. I was trying to get 12,000 I guess it was 9,000 when you deduct what the the grant gave us but it's yeah. a lot of work you know you have to come up with great incentives you have to come up with the wording for all of that you have to find all of these images you have to 
come up with the phrasing for each of the tiers. It, it's just so time consuming to go through that process. And then not all of the stuff that you want to do on the site is going to work. Turns out there were limitations for photos. You know, you, you could only do this or you could only have an image that was this size and have it fit. And just the trial and error of that took hours. Yeah, no, I, I can only imagine. And, you know, going into the film itself, it's called Morning Sacrifice. And, you know, I, I'd really love to just hear what inspired you not only to tell this story as a director in your first feature debut, but, you know, just kind of take us through the origins and, you know, tell us how this film came to be. This was actually the first short film, or sorry, short story that I ever had published as a writer, as an author. Yeah. And so it just felt natural that it would be my first short film. I adapted it one year. Instead of doing, I, I don't know if you've heard of NaNoWriMo, which is November where people commit to writing 50,000 words toward a novel. They have options where, what if you want to write a script or you have other writing goals that you want to achieve? So I adapted this into a short film. And then I also just wrote an original short film during NaNoWriMo. And with this, you know, the challenge is all this stuff that was the character's interior thought, you can't show that on screen. You know, you, you need to be able to show, not have someone inside the character's head. And so there were some moments that I had to, to make different choices and to tell the story in a different way. But I do think it was successful and I'm grateful for that. I had really good critique partners. I had people in screenwriting groups reading it and helping me tweak it and strengthen it. There's a really good community here and I am grateful that they were all so useful and helpful to me. That's that's so wonderful. And I, I want to work back with backwards with you a little bit because, you know, obviously at one point in, in your life, you fell in love with the idea of storytelling and the way you tell those stories has obviously evolved from, you know, being an author to being a filmmaker. And, you know, you're, I'm sure you're going to go back and do many other types of storytelling. But for you, you know, what what was the point in your life where you kind of fell in love with the idea of telling stories and knew that that was something that you wanted to do? You know, I really enjoyed it when I was very young. I loved writing stories. But at a certain point, I talked myself out of thinking that it was something that was an option for me. At that time, there were almost no people who looked like me successfully telling stories or not ones who were celebrated to the point where I learned about them. You know, it, it took a lot of research far and wide for me to find any Black female authors. There are lots more now, but not nearly as abundant as what is usually portrayed in the media. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was an option. I kind of put that on the back burner. But at some point, I I had a dream which inspired a piece of fan fiction i didn't know what fan fiction was but it was just this story about loki and storm that was so vivid <laughs> in my head and it was a dream about them and it was like you know what i it won't leave me alone so i just kept writing it and writing it and then someone said yeah you're writing fan fiction oh what's that you know and writing that i ended up taking all these pieces that didn't make sense for loki and storm because of the comic book universe it's like that doesn't really make sense for them that is more mm -hmm. like this and i kept putting these thoughts aside and eventually i turned completely from that fan fiction and wrote an entire novel based on these two characters 
So it's like their personalities are very similar, but you know, the, he's not the God of mischief. He's very mischievous, but he's not the God of mischief. And, and she is, you know, the, like they look like these two characters. They have a lot of lot in common personality wise, but that consumed me writing that consumed me. And she happened to be a woman who quit her job to become an actress and after I wrote that, it manifested into my life. My boss laid me off and said, I'm sorry, we can't hire you. Or sorry, we can't keep you on anymore. But I feel badly about letting you go. So he introduced me to a friend of his who is an, a model and an actress. And he said, I think that this would be a good field for you. So I'm introducing you to my friend to help you get started. The crazy thing is he didn't know anything about the book. So it was just kind of weird that it manifested into my life. Yeah. And so that's yeah. a different method of storytelling. Acting is a way to share stories and to convey mm -hmm. story. And I guess just having difficulty finding scripts that I would fall in love with. That's what led me to start writing my own scripts. And so here we are. I have gone from the process of writing stories to acting them out, to writing them in a different medium, and now directing them. Yeah, and that's it's such an incredible journey because each level of storytelling, you know, in the filmmaking world, can be satisfying in its own way. Whereas, you know, on the acting side, you kind of get to be a canvas. You get to be the thing that an artist can. Um, I'm, manipulates the wrong word, but you get to be the thing that the artist uses to get their vision and their story across. And being a part of that journey can be really fascinating, but. There's got there's going to be that itch in you that's like I also want to paint the canvas I also want to you know tell that story, and you know it's very it's awesome that you're able to do that not only as a writer but a director as well, and you know when you wrote Morning Sacrifice the original short story all those you know a while ago in your head were you like this is a feature film one day or did it just kind of evolve into that definitely not I I was just getting started and I wasn't really confident about my ability. And in fact, I, I'm not even certain I told that story because I had a goal in mind that there would be a theme of redemption and it had to be based in Nevada because it was for an anthology that I was writing. You know, I was trying to get it into this anthology and they, they were curating it and it's like, okay, these are my two themes. And as I started writing it, only knowing these few things, the character slowly started revealing to me what the story was including the fact that he was a vampire. And it's kind of like, how did I not know that part? <laughs> how did I not know that when I started writing it? It's just like, ooh, ooh, there's a clue. And I, you know, I felt like the muse just kind of took over and I was taking dictation at that point. I definitely wasn't thinking beyond just that connection with the muse. Yeah. Now I have, I had other people say that they could see a film in it. And I think that's part of the reason I thought, well, let me just try to adapt this rather than write a whole new vampire story. Let me try to adapt this. And it what I mean, I won't say there weren't challenges, but they weren't excruciating. It wasn't a painful process. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I adapted my novel just to practice, that was painful because, you know, when you take <laughs> a short story, you have room to make it mm -hmm. a long or short, short film. When it's taking a novel and making it into a feature, no, you're cutting lots of stuff. You're cutting characters, you're you're cutting storylines. There just isn't room for that. That was excruciating. 
but this was kind of nice because it was already a short form piece and it gave me room. Yeah. No, that's that's fascinating. And, and I, I want to go back a little bit to something you'd mentioned earlier of, you know, you kind of talked yourself out of, you know, participating in this type of storytelling because of a lack of representation and, you know, eventually finding your voice now. Um, you're obviously very self-inspiring, but were there any was there any moment of you, whether it be seeing a person on screen or hearing about someone behind the scenes where it kind of clicked with you of like, oh, this is for me too. Like, was was there a particular inspiration behind that regard? You know, I wouldn't say that there's one. Mm -hmm. If I had to point to something, it would be when I saw the poster for the movie Bell. I don't mm -hmm. know if you're familiar with it. Mm -hmm. It's Gugu Mbathara, and I saw her in a period piece. It was a period piece, and she's in period dress, and... I can look at her and see somewhat of me like she has the mixed girl curly hair and you know just we have a lot physically in common I'm significantly taller than she is but we could still pass for family members in a in a film so mm -hmm. seeing someone who looked like me starring in a role like this like specifically period films I love Jane Austen, I love Shakespeare. You don't usually see people like me starring in those. And yeah. since then, we've had, you know, Bridgerton, and we have a Sense and Sensibility remake coming out that it's starring people who do look like me. And I think it's amazing. So it's not just that, you know, it's not any one piece, but I think that one probably healed me a little bit. It, it healed my heart a little bit. And I wasn't even there for that like I was there to watch a film and I see this poster and it's like oh that's that's me you know <laughs> yeah that's 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 so wonderful and uh you know go, also going back to the you know the different avenues of storytelling and how they can be satisfying to different parts of that creative brain uh how deep into post-production are you just barely in the first edit in fact the editor told me this week he thinks that he's going to be done with the first pass by the end of this weekend oh that's close yeah you know and when you get those updates like that you know you're just trying not to look at a clock like you're just, like you're just like god i just want to dive in don't and bug dive him in don't ask him just let him yes. <laughs> you don't want to do that thing where you're just like hey and you know sometimes uh whenever i work on projects and i'm in a similar situation where it'd be like a sound mixer or color uh you know sometimes i'll be sitting there just like all right a day and a half ago i texted them so I feel like if I text them again, they're just going to be like, oh, my God, this guy. And, and, you know, and you're just like, what's the what's the right amount of time? How about now? Yeah. yeah. How about now? yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And uh, going to that post-production, you know, um, something that I've spoken to some documentary filmmakers in the past and something that they mention a lot is specifically with documentaries, but really with any story, you know, from the first time you write something on the page to the last time you lock picture in an edit, the story can make, it can change a lot. It can change barely. And, you know, that final editing process, you know, you're in the first edit now, but you can discover things about the film that you didn't even know were there, like from the page shooting now on the screen in front of you. And uh, I know it's early for you, but ha has it has anything come up yet in the post process where you're kind of like, oh, I didn't even consider putting this scene next to this scene instead. And maybe we move this scene here or cut this scene or, you know, the whole post process, you know, has something come up where you're just like, has it clicked in your brain? 
we went to watch some of the producers and I went to watch just initial footage that the editor had gotten to a certain point. The editor is also my DP. So he's already okay. really familiar with the footage, which helps piecing together the pro the product. Mm -hmm. And so he had some questions. He wanted to show us how it was going. And he was showing us a challenging scene. And it was my assistant director who was like, I think you cut out everything after this word and just shift it here. Because even though that's lovely footage and yeah, it was a nice moment between them. It connects to this part in a different scene. Yeah. Way that wasn't on the page. It wasn't in the short story like that. It wasn't in the script like that. But now that you see the way they work together, it just, it tells the story better. Mm -hmm. It shows you the story better. And it was a great call on her part. So yes, yeah. I, I, I definitely, definitely understand what you mean. And it's like, I didn't even care about my words being lost, my footage being, yeah, like, oh, yeah. that felt so much better. Yeah. But now if you would have told the person writing the film, like, Hey, in the future, we're going to cut all, we're going to cut the rest of this, you know, the writer, you would be like, how dare you? <laughs> but like when you're, when you're there later, you know, like you said, it just, it fits so much better. And the magic of the editing room is just fascinating to me. And, uh, I, so I'm glad to hear that there's different stories like that going on. And, uh, you know, speaking to, um, earlier you mentioned, you know, wearing your producer hat versus a director's hat and a writer's hat. You know, was there a particular time while shooting the movie on set where you were in director mode and then a problem came up and you're like, OK, time to be a producer now or time to be the writer again for a second? You know, how, how did you kind of divide those responsibilities in your brain? Because that's a lot going on. It was. In fact, the first night it was just it was I was so much in producer mode because the first night, you know, it's my first shoot. The The location is not what we envisioned, like we mm -hmm. thought we were going to have access to the entire house. Turns out we didn't have access to the main room that we needed. And so <sighs> producer hat, you know, yeah, we have to figure it out. And it turns out the location we ended up using within the house was way better. Like it looks way better on screen than the boring thing Good. that I created in my mind. You know, the, the boring thing that I had created mm -hmm. on page on the page. I'm trying to show how stark and empty this place is. Well, that doesn't look interesting on screen. And if I had just said, no, we said it was going to be this kind of room. It's going to be this kind of room. That's what it says on the page. We're going to follow that. It was the first example of what can we do? Mm -hmm. And it happened to be that the person who was the script supervisor, his other job happens to be set design. And so once we, <laughs> once we tweaked, all right, fine. We can't use this big empty bedroom because it's not big. It, it's big, but it's not empty. Like we were going to mm -hmm. have to move all this furniture. We didn't have time to do that. We ended up using the garage and it had this interesting backdrop because there are all these weird props. And, like there's just a lot of weird stuff in their garage. They just happen to have a lot of weird stuff. And it looks so good for the hostage scene that it was way better than if we had paid for someone to come in and decorate a set, you know, it just, it was one of those. And when we finally got all of those issues worked out and we're ready to, to shoot the first scene, one of my producers, like the, someone who was so vital to the success of this project, Jordan came over and he's like, congratulations, Madam Director. Oh, 
that's right. I'm about to direct my first scene ever. Like I had just not even thought <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> yeah. And I just kind of teared up because he acknowledged it. You know, he, he it was just a quiet little whisper. Here you go. We're we're finally starting. Like we were hours behind schedule and he just made it magic just with acknowledging the moment. Yeah. That's that's so cool. And you know, the, the filmmaking process for, for a lot of people who don't realize not only just how long it takes and, you know, getting funding is a nightmare. And, you know, when you're on set, there can be any number of problems. And, you know, you, you're, you're never, never can and will be. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very true. And, you know, even something as small as down as to like, oh, like, you know, c- catering's late, like, like that can just cause like such a rupture in the schedule. And then you have to like the producer had us to come on and you have to figure everything out. And, you know, Going back, though, to casting the film, you know, something I'm curious about is, you know, there's one of the best teachers of being a director is to be an actor and kind of, you know, understand more the notes that they're looking for, how to communicate to them. And especially as someone who has been with these characters all the way back from when it was a short story, you know, what was you had to know exactly the type of actors that you needed, the type of, you know, um, mannerisms and things you were looking for. So from casting from characters who are probably very near and dear to you from a very long time ago, how do how does the casting process go for you in that moment? You know, is it is it more intense or is, you know, did you have big auditions or what was that like? I did have auditions. I, I specifically had someone in mind for the role for the the role of Celine, who is the main female in the film. But I didn't know her. I just knew of her. And I also knew very talented actresses who could play the role here in Las Vegas. And she was in L.A. So it's like, she's a long shot. She's she's my wish list person, but she's a long shot. And so I held auditions and I did reach out to her a year before we started casting. It was like, look, I really like the work that you're doing. I would love for you to audition for this. And so I, when I sent the email that we're about to cast, I realized, oh, it's almost a year later. How embarrassing. <laughs> but, you know, these things happen. And yeah. she auditioned and she blew everybody away. Like she was so good. But she's a bigger name actress and she is in L.A. Like there are all these extra expenses that mm-hmm. go along with it being her. I could have someone in Las Vegas with no travel fees, you know, no lodging, none of that no manager fees because they they wouldn't have been a SAG actor mm-hmm. or I could have her who would make this piece just amazing. She, I mean, her audition was so great. I almost didn't give her, a, like, I almost didn't make her do the callback. You know, it was like, <laughs> let us give these other people a chance to lift to this level. And, you know, if the pros of, them not costing as much money will outweigh and no let me see if she can take direction let me see if i can actually work with her because i don't want to be so caught up in oh she's so wonderful that i end up with this terror on set which would have been completely my fault for not doing my due diligence before hiring her Uh and she did the callback and she wowed during the callback and she had a great attitude and there was nudity in the scene, one of the scenes. And she talked about 
how she felt about that. And can we work, work on this? Of course we can work on this. I'm not going to ask an actress to be more uncomfortable than I'm willing to be on set. Mm -hmm. And just the fact that she was able to have the conversation rather than let me not say anything and then throw a fit when you're asking me to do what it says in the script, you know? (laughs) And so she was number one for all of us. For my male lead, the character is described as ethnically ambiguous. He is the love child of Alexander Dumas and a 400-year-old vampire. So how does that person look? (laughs) (laughs) I left it very ambiguous. You know, let's see what we get. But I did expect the person to... I don't, some people don't know that Alexander Dumas is black in part. And so I was expecting there to be some black mixture. And we had it narrowed down to three really strong contenders. And of those three, one was completely white. One is, I believe, half black, half white, and just has this amazing physical presence and then the third was a Latino man, which isn't any of those, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's the one we ended up casting, not because of his look, but because of his heart. Mm. Because of all the the people who did the callbacks, the people that we brought in, he captured his love for Celine in his audition. Like he, that was his gut rather than having to be instructed toward it. And even though this is a vampire film and a detective story, at its core, it's a love story. Mm-hmm. And that, that's how we found our D'Artagnan. That's so awesome. Yeah, no, I like the, the casting process never ceases to amaze me either because, you know, I, the number of stories you hear of, you know, like, oh, we thought we had someone and then someone else came in red and it blew everyone away or, you know, someone saying like, I don't really know if I want to hold auditions. I think I know who I want. And then someone comes in the room and you're just like, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, just hearing that, you know, th- th- there's no end to the magic of movies because pe- people think the magic kind of begins when the movie starts and when the movie ends, but it really begins from when it starts being made. And it's it's kind of this whole journey of people coming together and knowing that their talent is going to be used for something specific. And sometimes it's very small and sometimes it's a huge impact. But if one person goes missing, the end product suffers. And so my next question is, you know, having to be the the producer, the director, the writer, you know, when you arrive on set, you know, you kind of set the tone for everybody else and and you, you running that set and being a part of making a film, you know, human emotion oftentimes doesn't get taken into account on bigger sets, bigger films. But, you know, on a project like this, you know, when you show up and everyone's kind of looking to you like, hey, what what do I do next? You know, what what's the play? You know, what was important to you as the leader of that set to kind of get the point across to everybody? Like, what was the main shared goal, you would say? I have been in situations where I felt like it was up to me to set the tone. Because I think even when you're the lead actress on a set Mm -hmm. the other actors look to you so if you are throwing a fit about the problems that are happening you are setting the tone for all of the other actors to be uncomfortable and to not Mm -hmm. be able to bring their best so even if the situation sucks even if the weather's terrible even if food doesn't arrive 
I feel a responsibility as the as the lead actor to set the example, to just remain calm. Let's do the best that we can. We need to find a way to move forward. Even more so as a director. Like you can make or break the entire thing by you breaking down because things don't work out. But because I had amazing people around me, people who had produced their own films, like this is really my first time at this level of production. I have helped produce other people's films. That's not the same thing as like being the big decision maker. And so I surrounded myself with people who know how to do things better than I do, number one. That gave me the confidence to be able to make those decisions and to ask advice in situations. It also gave me a heads up before we even arrived on set, Jordan again saying, you know, problems are going to happen. Yes, I've, you know, I've been on the other side of that. Problems always happen. I have never been on a set where there wasn't a problem. (laughs) It it just happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's about how you handle those problems. Do you make a decision to find a solution or do you throw your hands up and say, well, that's just it. We can't do, we can't, we can't, you did. There is no can't. You have to figure out what you can do. Don't worry about the can't, just keep moving forward. What is something we could do to get around this? One of the big examples of this is our lead actress came down with a virus three days into filming oh man so we filmed for two days and had all of this amazing footage and then on day three she couldn't even show up to set and she went to a doctor and it was going to be like 10 days before she could even attend right like that just screwed our schedule like come on yeah big time so there was definitely opportunity for well that's just it we have to quit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, and I forgot to mention that, you know, how we we did the casting. Mm-hmm. The two main actors, one is from L.A. Our lead male was in Miami. Like, I don't know why he auditioned for a Las Vegas piece. <laughs> <laughs> but that was another consideration we had to, you know, pull into the mix. Mm-hmm. Or are we going to deal with this? Well, now... We have to shut down production, essentially, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. she's not available and she's in almost every scene. So what we did on the third day is we filmed everything we could with just him, everything that didn't require her. Mm-hmm. And then we regrouped. Okay, so we have to hit pause. How can we adjust the schedule? And because we took that breath, we ended up having better locations than what we had originally scheduled. Some things opened up, like there were places that were closed when we needed them. Well, now they're going to be open because we're shooting at a different time of year. We were able to go to Mount Charleston, which was actually in the script. It's the location that was in the script. We were able to use UNLV as the theater location. And the night that we were going to be there they were going to have a performance there and we were allowed to use all of the extras as free background or not extras all of all of the attendees like we could just have people walking in the background they they gave us permission to do this so we it ended up being a blessing but it would not have been a blessing if we just 
freaked out about it. You know, if we mm-hmm. had a meltdown or got upset with her, like she could help getting sick, you know? So it yeah. was just, yeah. it was a test for sure. But I feel like we passed it. I feel like every one of us passed it and we stuck together and we looked for solutions and we found ways to make things work. And that's, that's so great too, you know, especially, you know, being on, on your first feature film and you hear like, you know, this lead actress that I'm sure you, it took so much work to make sure that they were there, they were available, that you had everything you needed with them and then they get sick. And, you know, of course, you know, good on you for, you know, being able to take that in the positive direction and pass that test, as you would say, because, you know, I'm sure the first thing in your mind is just like, of course, like, of course, this is happening. And, you know, and like you said, like, you know, you've never been on a set where something went wrong. If I was ever on a set and problems didn't happen, I would think I was in like the twilight zone. I'd be like, okay, I need to like either get like a lottery ticket or go to a hospital. Like, I don't know like what I'm supposed to do right now. And, uh, you know, another big hurdle in the filmmaking process that most independent filmmakers just don't even want to talk about. And that's distribution. And that's just like kind of the the whole end package of everything which you know obviously you know you have to go through post you're going to do your festival run and the distribution um you know do you have any particular distribution hopes for the film or is as distribution already been uh, locked down it's not locked down and it's one of those things that i i'm not really that concerned about it i it, it's a short film nobody makes money off of a short film this is really going to be my entry into the festival world and it's mm-hmm. just my first film i'm not expecting this to be the make all and end all but i'm i'm proud of the way it is looking and it's just a step now eventually i will probably release it just because i had so many people who have indicated that they want to watch it but you know there's the whole premiere status thing we yeah. can't do anything like that until yeah. we're, we are done running the festival circuit mm-hmm yeah, and it's like I I get the premiere status thing. Like like I understand from the festival's point of view. Like I get it, but at the same time, you know the, the that urge, like that first when your film is done and you've poured years of your life into this, and you you just want to show everyone. You just like just everyone, everyone come watch. Like I want I want to see what you think. Like I gotta know. And you know and like uh and yes, when you're at those premieres and you're sitting there and it premieres to an audience, it's an amazing feeling. And I wouldn't you know want to trade that. But I don't know, like, I just, it kind of sucks when, when you just like, all right, and the first festival is in five months. Great. <laughs> and you just kind of have to sit on it. And, it, you know, but, uh, but the good news, what that does allow is for you to kind of not only take a break and look back at the great work you've done, but you can start your next project, which leads me to ask, do you know what your next project is? Right now, I am shifting more to writing and acting again. I don't want to embark on directing again until we we get this one finished with post right I don't right. want my attention I want my producer hat to be in this project mm-hmm. I do have some things in mind I also would like to assist some of the people who helped me because we mm-hmm. had a lot of volunteered assistance from amazingly talented people so as much as that yeah I have my whole list of things that I would like to do next I'm going to make sure I pay my dues first and okay, how may I help you with your project? You know, I owe you for this segment of this. What can I do to repay you for all of your amazing help? I want to do that first. Yeah. And it's, it's great that you say that because the, the number of situations that, you know, I've been in and other creatives have been in where like, 
I remember the small things that people do. Like like when when your mind and soul is on a project and someone does the smallest thing for you, like you tell them like, hey, if you need something, I'm going to help you. And like, that seems like a standard answer. But, you know, you saying that of like, you know, I, I need to make room for to help these people who help me. Like, I, I see it all the time in this independent creative space. And I think it's so lovely just because, you know, and, and sometimes it's not even, you know, not everyone who works on a set is going to want to want to write or produce their own thing. But sometimes they might want to, they need help, you know, auditioning, line reading, you know, they, they need help, you know, getting that next meeting to be like a set, a set dresser, set decorator. And, you know, just, you know, being there remembering that that person took time out of their day for God knows what wage to spend 15 hours on a set for your project, you know, like that, that respect, th- th- there's no greater re- like respect I, I could feel for that person. And, you know, I, I fully understand what you mean by just saying like, you know, I have to, I have to help them out. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've been, uh, like I've been sitting down with my girlfriend and we're going over like plans for the month if we're scheduling dates and uh, she's like, all right, what about Thursday? And I'm like, no, actually Thursday I have to drive to Atlanta because this guy who helped me on a film that I worked on about three and a half years ago, uh, he really, really helped me out when I was down and he needs a, a boom operator. So I'm going to go help him. And, it's, and she's just like, what? when did this happen? You know, and it's just, you know, it's just one of those things where it just, it sticks with you. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. And uh, kind of going back to all the way back to, you know, the, the beginning and to when you were first kind of starting out in the industry, first telling stories, first being an actress, an author. If you could go tell that person, sorry, I hit my mic. If you could go tell that person something right now, like whether it be a piece of advice or a piece of encouragement, you know, what do you think that person needed to hear? Hmm. Two things immediately came to mind. And the first was just the encouragement to, yes, yes, you can do this. You're going to make mistakes. It's not going to be perfect. But the key is to start. And that is the second thing. Start now so that when you get to when you have these opportunities, you're ready. You've made your mistakes. You've learned your lessons. And you know what you're doing when you get there. Yeah, that's that's so beautiful to hear. And you know, when you say, you know, you've made your mistakes, you know, I, I think something that every independent filmmaker goes through, and it's a lovely thing now, it's just not in the moment. And it's when, you know, it doesn't have to be an official set, but like that first time you kind of use the tools of filmmaking, like you get a camera, you get a microphone, you get lights, and you get a computer. And you're like, I'm going to shoot something today, I'm going to, I'm going to put it together. And you, you shoot it, hours go into it, days, weeks, you edit it together, and you're like, you crack your knuckles, you're like, all right, and you hit play. And it's just the worst thing you've ever seen. <laughs> and you're just like, my God, what did I think? What was I doing? And but what that does is, you know, you can doing us practicing. Yes. You know? yes. yes. And, and you, can, you, can, you will make mistakes, but they're not mistakes. They're steps. You must do that. Yes. You must yes. learn how to do better next time. Yes. And, you know, and, and even something as small as pausing the thing that you made, looking at it and going, why don't I like what I'm looking at? And then bringing in somebody and saying, hey, I'm showing you this. You see this on screen. What's wrong? Like, what doesn't feel right? And then, you know, getting that extra mindset. And, you know, and I, I like to get people who work in the industry. And I also like to get people who are just the average moviegoer. Because sometimes both opinions are exactly what you need to hear. Because something that I fe- find a lot of independent filmmakers falling into is this bubble of opinion that doesn't take into account the audience. And sometimes that can really 
pigeonhole your creativeness. And sometimes there's just a little thing that when you see just an, an average film, an average film goer going like, I don't know. I just think it's weird that the lighting's like this. I don't know. And you're just like, you look at it again and you're like, I guess it is kind of weird. Like, why do we light it like that? And then, you know, it kind of leads to this whole, this whole thing. This has been such an amazing interview, but there's one question that I want to uh, run by you before we go. Actually, two. I'm going to throw in one right now because I see the Star Destroyers behind you. And earlier you mentioned the, uh, you know, your Loki and Storm fan fiction that you had wrote. So I got to know, Star Wars Marvel big fan? Yes, definitely. Nice, nice. Okay, okay. So follow up. How deep does it go? Well, I was debating. I I stalked you before our interview. I wanted to know, do I need to dress all fancy or can I wear my Godzilla t-shirt, you know? Yes, yes. <laughs> and I saw that you did this amazing Marvel. I don't know if it was for Halloween or if it was just you guys being cool. Cosplay, you and your girlfriend did Matt Murdock. Oh, the- like oh that's awesome i love it this is the kind of guy that i would invite to my halloween parties (laughs) because (laughs) i have done huge and the whole reason for that loki and storm dream is because that Mm -hmm. year i was hosting a a marvel halloween party (laughs) oh that's so cool i was going as storm and my guy was going as loki and so that (laughs) You know, I know that that's where it stemmed from, but because of that, I wrote like it changed my career. You know, yeah, yeah. It was that, the scene so cool. that changed my entire career, and so yeah, it was. It goes deep. It goes very deep. I have done podcast appearances where where we will talk about the entire Ms. Marvel series, the entire Loki series, you know, the entire She Hulk series. Where Mm-hmm. I am just a co-host for all of these discussions. Yeah. I'm part of the Femme On Collective, and we talk about this stuff all the time. We, we talk about movies and television and the feminine side of, or maybe not feminine side, but you know, through the female gaze, all of these different, usually male-led projects. I am part mm-hmm. of a, an essay collection that is comparing superheroes and comic book characters to more classical literature. So okay. for example, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, that's the Hulk, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's going to be one of my essays. I did my my first essay is about Irene Adler from the Sherlock series, Catwoman. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is the foil to the detective, the one he lets get away because there's just something about her and they keep Oh my God. <laughs> oh, I wanna I wanna so, read this. I wanna read this so bad. So it goes deep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, good, good. No, I, I was just wondering because uh like I saw the Star Destroyer, I peeped the Godzilla and I was like, hmm, like I, I know like I I wanna really talk deep about filmmaking and get, you know, really into it. But I was like, I wonder, like, can I throw in some like nerdy questions? Um, oh, definitely. But... Like I have TIE fighters here. You know? <laughs> oh, good, good. <laughs> yeah, Um. here, I got a, uh, right behind me, I got a little lightsaber prop mm-hmm. from Return mm-hmm. of the Jedi. It's just a replica. You know, I I wish I could go in those auctions and get a real one. But then, you know, my girlfriend would be like, why, why is there a for sale sign in our house? 
but yeah. uh <laughs> why is there that before an engagement ring hmm. yeah right <laughs> every time every time i have and, to say uh, just looking at your instagram i'm like he needs to marry this girl <laughs> <laughs> trust me trust me i will and you know of course of course the the family you know every three or four months or every time there's a gathering you know you always get the so when's it gonna happen right. you know always, i apologize always. i'm just telling you that was my thought like oh she she dresses like this too she's awesome <laughs> no no listen she is the best she's lovely and no need to apologize i i need i need it i need to hear that i need the the kick but uh but uh one last nerdy question before uh i dive into my last one godzilla did you happen to see godzilla minus one yes i saw it in color and minus color Oh, and, you saw the minus color. I didn't get to see yes. the minus color. It it was definitely worth it. Yeah, I I think I preferred overall the with color, but that could just be it was the first time that I saw it. Right. Yeah. So you know you get that whole. Well, I actually care about the people in this movie. I don't think that has ever happened in any other Godzilla movie where there were people that mattered it was no give me the monsters and you people are fodder you know yeah <laughs> but the storyline was great this it that was. movie is amazing it's you know it's a found family piece it's a tale of redemption it's a monster movie it's a horror movie it's a historical fiction movie you know it's about post world war ii there's so much in that film i cannot believe it wasn't recognized by the academy but a friend of my family mentioned that it wasn't actually put forth by Japan. And that's why mm -hmm. it wasn't yeah. recognized. Like, yeah. it, well, it should have been because this movie is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was incredible. I, I went to see it just because I'd heard the positive word of mouth and mm. uh, it was my first Toho Godzilla film that I had ever seen. And I went in and I was completely blown away by it. And I didn't get a chance to see the black and white version, the minus color version, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping when they release like the, the 4K physical media that they put mm -hmm. the minus color version on there because I, I want to watch it so badly. I'm hoping too. Like they're the scenes, like the initial island scene. That looks so cool in black and white. You know, like it uh, just gives it a yeah. different kind of feel because it makes it seem older. It makes it feel like, oh, this is like the original, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, speaking of that, like when the score, when the original Godzilla theme, yes! every time, every time it hit in the movie, they nailed the place. They did. And I, oh, like, I got chills. Like the first time I saw it, it was like, I was just like looking up, like when the camera goes up and then that score hits, I was like, oh my God, this is so yes. good. <laughs> oh, that was, that um, was a brilliant touch. Cause I was in the theater going, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's the actual music. <laughs> yes, oh, that's so so awesome. And uh, I'll I'll cut you loose on this. And it's a question that I ask uh, everybody that I interview because to me it's the most important question. You know, as a creative, as someone who likes to tell stories, if someone watches Morning Sacrifice and there's only one thing you want them to take away from having watched it, what would that one thing be? That love is worth it. That's a hell of an answer. That might be the best answer I've got. <laughs> it's so it's such a good answer. And uh, I'm really happy that that's the message you want people to take away from your film. And um, where can people find you? And where can people get updates on the movie? 
I am across social media at Ms. Tanya Todd. That's M-S-T-O-N-Y-A-T-O-D-D. My website is MsTanyaTodd.com. And you can follow Morning Sacrifice on its social media platforms. There is an Instagram page, and that's Morning, M-O-U, Morning, and a Facebook page and a YouTube page. Perfect. And I'll, I'll be sure to include all of those in the description below. Um, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you. It was really great being here, and I like to I like talking movies with you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, me too. Thank you.